the current trend, I would say, of spirituality, authenticity, vulnerability, is I'm always hearing or reading stories about the graceful outcome. And now how I see it and it was hard, but it worked out. Ta-da! And it was just a great lesson, etc. And I know that a lot of people, and even sometimes myself, get washed over by a wave of shame that I am not that graceful, that spiritual, that amazing, that I learned this lesson, and it just all worked out. And typically, by the way, these stories are coming from people where it did work out, and they are successful, (laughs) and life is good. And then comes the shame of, well, my life isn't going like that, and my lessons don't unfold like that. My lessons didn't lead to success and resolution and a ta-da moment, an aha moment. So far, the only person I've seen, famous person, that does not do that is Pema Chodron, where she will talk about a lesson that she learned, even at 70, which I so appreciate. And she will really describe the painful moments and the self-criticism and seeing the really ugly sides of herself and the damage done, the lessons learned, but there's no ta-da. There's more things like, well, we're not friends anymore. The relationship is strained. It will never be the same again because of what I did. She is the only spiritual teacher that I know of so far that talks about that. Ram Dass does it also, but with such a humor that it's sometimes, at least for me, hard to hear his expose of the intense pain some of our lessons cause. And more importantly the stereotype we have of people that present as awakened or enlightened or even smart, myself included. (laughs) I know one time someone said to me how ashamed they were to have this anger inside of them. And I said something like, you know, why? Where did that come from? And she said, well, you don't ever get angry. I'm like, what? (laughs) Where did you get that? Wow, Um, it was incredible to hear that as much as I try to be transparent and authentic, that someone still had this picture of me as a little Buddha, which is about the furthest thing from the truth, unless Buddha was really an alive, passionate person with opinions and makes mistakes and gets mad and makes amends, etc., And I haven't heard Buddha described as that. (laughs) He may have been like that. We know Jesus was, despite the whitewashing of the Bible and scripture. 
what I find then is that we have enough problems as it is, and now we add to it the shame that I'm not spiritual enough, that I didn't gracefully slide through the lessons and learn, and now I can say, ta-da. Even I was listening to the holistic psychologist, who I think is fabulous, um, even Brene Brown, Glennon Doyle, <clears throat> I have the same thing where there was this framing of, yes, I went through this, and at the time it was so hard, but now I see, and now it is, and now it's great. And to me, that is a minimizing of the hardest part of this kind of work, which is getting through it. And sometimes the ta-da stuff doesn't come for a couple of years. With Brene Brown, you know, she mentions being in recovery. But I'd sure like to hear some stories about what was it like to be an alcoholic while you were in school or your first years of marriage or damage done to children. Same thing with... Um, Glennon Doyle, when, you know, she talks about and reports on her book being published, and then her husband was cheating on her, and then she meets Abby. Ta-da! So, of course, it all worked out. But what were those first few hours like, or days, or weeks, when she found out that she had just published this book, The Love Warrior on the Perfect Christian Marriage? and found out her husband had been cheating on her since the day they got married. What was that like? And why would we talk about it or write about it? Great question, because, you know, there's all those sayings that whatever you pay attention to grows, and if you pay attention to the negative, you will manifest the negative. And why look at the past? Past is past. Move forward. <laughs> And all that gets translated into, don't feel those uncomfortable feelings, don't talk about them, and yet you're supposed to, oh, and don't feel them either, <laughs> just move forward, and yet you're supposed to learn from them. How do you learn from something if you don't go through it? I'm not talking about intellectual academic learning, that's something different. But how do you recover from, integrate, and put together the complexities of your experiences if you just move forward, don't focus on them, don't allow them to be, quote, negative? I don't know the answer to that. And I am not saying that I'm an expert in... The research on recovery, I can only talk about what I have researched and what I have experienced in my own journey. So this may not be for everybody, but to me, um, well, let's take a really concrete example I like to use a lot, cancer. Cancer is the great life changer. I have yet to meet someone who has recovered from cancer who has not 
been reborn, so to speak, where the experience completely rechanged their life, <clears throat> changed their marriage. If they were married, changed their friendships, changed their diet, changed their exercise, changed their priorities. I'm sure someone is out there where that hasn't happened, but I haven't met them. What you never hear about in any detail is the amount of pain it took, the amount of struggle on every level with cancer. Struggle to get the nurses to take care of you. Struggle to figure out what treatments to do and not do. Struggle to deal with the guilt of not being there for your family. Uh, shame that you have to be so taken care of. Terror that you might die excruciating pain or nausea or both where you cannot find one second one moment of pleasure in your day and that goes on for days sometimes weeks sometimes months and where your greatest pleasure becomes that you can sip some fruit juice without vomiting it up and that is a great moment you don't hear about that you just hear the ta-da you know i was filled with fear and this happened and that happened and now I see. <laughs> the damage this does is that when people start to take seriously statements like from Glennon Doyle, we can do hard things, do they really know what it means to do a hard thing? Especially if you are middle class, entitled, um, not subject to racism, prejudice, etc. You have some resources. You almost always have an out, meaning that if you don't do anything hard, your life is still going to be okay. <laughs> You're just unhappy. It's not good enough. So what I find is that when people say, come to Life Path Healings, and they're kind of shocked, like, whoa, this is really hard, and I expected to come and get some brilliant speeches and answers and uh, meditations, and I'm going to feel great. And the hard thing was that I came here and sat in silence. <laughs> or the hard thing was that I actually cried about my mother. And yeah, okay, for the beginning trip, that might be super hard stuff. Got it. But that's the beginner level. And what I have noticed is that spirituality so far, there's not a lot of outreach to poorer communities. When I talk about privilege, it's not just white. It's economic, and it has less to do with race and gender choices than, again, economics. So when you come from privilege and opportunity, and you don't have to fight, you don't have one way out, meaning take this job or die, 
And you cannot go, is this job in alignment with my inner goals and my authentic self? Who knows? <laughs> I need a job. It's going to be McDonald's. It's going to be working for some asshole boss. It's going to be doing shit that I hate. It's going to be folding clothes in a, la- in a laundry in a hospital next to where they burn the bodies. I've done that. It'll be being a waitress. It'll be uh, driving for Uber when you hate driving. What about those folks? We can do hard things. What does spirituality look for that community? And I don't say that to guilt trip anybody. I say it to bring into balance the pictures that we're looking at about doing hard things and learning from our mistakes, being authentic and vulnerable. In another podcast I talked about, it's not always appropriate to be authentic and vulnerable. Again, a lot of that comes from privilege. If you're a boss, if you're the boss's boss, but if you're in the mailroom, to what degree do you make yourself vulnerable? We have to remember, as my dear brother reminded me, because I am an idealistic fool at heart, The point of every organization is to maintain itself, not to take care of people. The point of human resources in an organization is to take care of the organization. People are replaceable, easily. So never mind being authentic and vulnerable. What do you need to do to keep your job? What do you need to do to fit into the culture of the job? I mean, nowadays, most people can't even do union organizing because they're afraid they'll lose their job. And yet unions are what bring job security and retirement. So people of privilege, which is most of the spiritual community with few exceptions, present spirituality in a way that I think is inaccessible to folks who don't have privilege. And some of us are here for a lifetime of lessons with very little uh, earth plane rewards in this particular life. And some of us are here with a lot of privilege, and that's written into our life charts. So these ta-da moments can often be found in a chart. For example, somebody says, I had to move, you know, so many times and I struggled this part of my life. And and I have that. I ate out of bar happy hours for two years. I lived in rooms of people's houses. I stole food. I was broke. And it worked out. Ta-da! Well, in my life chart, I was meant to go through that. And when it worked out was when it changed in my chart as well. So how much of that was me doing it. Ta-da! Now I hear, I learned my lessons. I'm amazing. (laughs) What I could say about it from my perspective is I managed to navigate the river. The river being my life path that is controlled, owned, created, and sustained by spirit and my higher self 
agreed to travel this part of the river in this lifetime because when working with spirit, this is what I wanted to do. So when you're traveling the rapids, for example, there is just absolutely no thought of being your authentic self. It's like, get to the goddamn rapids. Like, survive this part. And then I can self-reflect and look back, etc. Sometimes life is smooth enough that while I'm paddling the river, I can self-reflect while paddling and make really cool choices about authenticity and vulnerability and growth and all that good stuff. But not always. What concerns me then is the way spirituality is being presented with the assumption that we always have choices, whether to be authentic, whether to be vulnerable, etc. If you don't have those kind of economics or that kind of security in society, like, you know, say you're a black family living in a threatening all-white community and you move there for a job and there's really nowhere else to go, would you turn to a spiritual movement that talks about choice and authenticity and vulnerability when you're trying not to get lynched or attacked or thrown out of the neighborhood? When I hear these very polished stories of, oh, you know, something in my house got destroyed and first I was mad and then I was revengeful and and then I saw the light. (laughs) Even to this day, I go, wow, that's just like, so not me. (laughs) Because I would talk more about what I went through, we know the light we want to see. Everybody reads about Buddhism or Christianity, all the great religions, even the New Age religion. You know, we all want to be more forgiving, more graceful, more accepting, more trusting in abundance, etc. We all know that. We all know that's where we're going to get to eventually. I'm more interested in what I had to go through to get there in this instance. And it also stirs up for me, well, I don't do it that gracefully. (laughs) I don't have this thought. No, I cry and I yell and I process stuff and I go running and I re-examine that thread that just happened to see if it's happened before in my the history and why would I even think of revenge and why did I even get mad and Oh, there's just so much stuff that goes on. Not every time. With the big stuff, I still go through this kind of self-examination. And it's not graceful to me. And on the really big lessons, it usually takes one to two years for me to be able to see how the jigsaw pieces of the puzzle came together to show me something that I had no idea existed in my consciousness, in my world, even in spirituality. 
one to two years. And that means in that time, I'm living with the ambiguity of what was that that happened? And I'm living with the crackpot mentality of, well, I don't understand this yet. And something will happen and I will look at it and go, is that related to this big thing that I still don't understand? And with the really big changes, it might be that it's a year or two years later that I, oh, I see this. And then something else happens right along the same line, taking me another year. So now I'm looking at three years of beginning to understand a pattern in my life that spirit is trying to show me. And in that time period, I am not all wise and knowing and calm and I get it. What I am is curious, actively meditating about something or asking for help, thinking about it, reading things, reflecting what I call crockpotting what happened. And then when I have this giant revelation, ask me if there's some pot of gold there. Not for me, there isn't. I don't suddenly get a new job, a new relationship, a new friend, uh, drop 20 pounds, see God coming down on a shaft of light. No, it's just by the time I get that big revelation after a couple of years, I also notice through deep mindfulness, or as the holistic psychologist likes to call it, witnessing the self, fancy language to me for self-awareness, honesty. I notice that the quality of my life is different. And what I also notice is that the pattern that was revealed to me that took years I now catch it really quick and still have to make different choices. I catch the pattern. I know my knee-jerk reaction to it. I catch that if it starts to happen. And then I'm in limbo. Like, how do I respond differently? Because that takes another year or two. I don't know how to respond differently. I know how not to respond. That's the level of work that I've gone through with my teacher and what I have seen happens when working with students. That the first process often has to be getting over the mythology of how change occurs and how growth occurs. And also coming to terms with your life path. You have abundance, you're a trust fund child, or you have recognition in your field because it's written into your life chart that this was going to be a prosperous time when you were popular and well accepted. And you could be a drunk and that would still happen. As we know from many people who are famous or popular, who later turned out to be drunks or drug addicts, etc. It was in their chart. The question was how they were going to handle that. And then there are people who in their life chart are exquisite 
hardworking, honest. They do everything right. And they don't, quote, get anywhere. It doesn't add up. And they don't become famous or popular or their life doesn't become steady. And modern psychology, including New Age, including a lot of the Western spiritual thinking, will be, well, there must be something wrong with you. There must be something you're doing wrong. Because one plus one should equal two. But again, it goes back to, here's my life chart. Here's what I set up. Success is not built into it. Popularity is not built into it, etc. And despite that, I'm going to live my life at the highest quality I possibly can, knowing it's not going to lead to any of the earthly delights that are promised by even the holistic psychologist, Glennon Doyle, Brene Brown. They all infer, imply, that when you learn certain things and do certain things, life will work out. Well, I would say your inner life will work out, that's for sure but not necessarily your outer life. I remember years ago, I might have spoken about this before, I asked a friend of mine, a lot of recovery under his belt, a lot of higher power work through AA, about 30 years in AA, still going, and helping others, being a sponsor, etc. I said, what difference does it make, spirituality, say if you're an Auschwitz? You know, it's just such crap spirituality. This is not very long ago. I was raised an atheist, so I'm always challenging spirituality. Especially that that has been codified into a system, be it 12-step or psychology or some healing methodology. And his response floored me. He said... The people who had a spiritual connection in Auschwitz had a very different experience of what was happening to them than the people who did not. And there it was, which is, come on, Pia. You can be in Auschwitz, suffering, full of fear, Freaking out, dying of starvation, torture, rape. You can be going through that experience with the ability to connect to a higher source that puts you in a different energetic space that allows you to experience what's happening from a spiritual perspective, not more so, not so much from earth, but more from a spiritual experience and perspective than just pure suffering. Now, some of this may sound like, yeah, you still suffer. But if again, you talk to cancer patients, they all suffer. But some of them go through it with a spiritual awakening. And their suffering goes way down. Not because they, quote, choose it, or talk themselves into it, or deny their feelings, or lie, or put a positive spin on it, but because they actually are different because of their choices, 
and their spiritual practice. You know, we make a joke about all the prisoners that always find Jesus in jail, but it's not so far-fetched because typically we do not find a spiritual practice, us Westerners especially, with all of our goodies to distract us, sex, drugs, rock and roll, we find spirituality where we're on the edge of dying, when our life appears to be over. And some people do, and some people don't find spirituality even then. And once again, you can go back to their chart and find out they weren't meant to. The readings I do for people, everybody has a spiritual chart. Everybody. The few that have come to me that don't, they have a very good earth plane chart. They're here to do earth. They don't need someone like me. They don't want someone like me. They don't want a spiritual practice. That's not what they came here to do. That doesn't mean they're not spiritual. It just means their focus in this life is earth stuff. Kids, money, weight, business, uh, relatives, family, that sort of thing. That doesn't mean they're not spiritual either. It just means some trips are to uh, a meditation retreat in Costa Rica and some trips are to Hollywood. Come on, P. And each life is a different trip. So going back to Auschwitz, in no way am I saying they deserve to die. Let's get that straight right away. What I am saying is that horrible things happen on earth. And my meditation teacher once, when he was asked about AIDS, he said, this is the, the best answer I can give you that you would understand. He said, we, pointing up, consider the souls that came here to die of AIDS as kinds of saints. And they volunteered for this mission to come here and die of AIDS in order to wake up another part of the population of humanity. You could have heard a pin drop after that was said. So if we look at things like Auschwitz or the Armenian slaughter as well, the Holocaust that happened in Armenia, which no one talks about. We understand that these things were scheduled. People volunteered for the mission. That was predetermined by their choices. However, what is available to everybody is how we go through our experiences how we strive for the best version of ourselves going through those experiences. So spirituality and being authentic and vulnerable and all that stuff isn't necessarily going to, quote, work out for you and change your life in the external one drop in that minute or maybe not in your entire life. But what it does do is it changes the quality of your life. 
And so far, even with people like Brene and Glenn Doyle and the holistic psychologist, again, what is inferred is, and that's how I found my lover, and that's how I found my husband, and that's how I found my wife, and now my research, and it led me to developing this work, which is now so successful, that's always in the story. So no wonder there's a bunch of shame around folks who are doing spiritual stuff and nothing's changing externally, that is. And there can be a lot of embarrassment around that. And people go into this place of, well, what am I doing wrong? I must be doing something wrong. Um, Most people I work with not only have hard feelings, they have shame and guilt about having those feelings. If I was more advanced, if I was more progressed, I wouldn't feel this way. I wouldn't be mad. I wouldn't be jealous. I wouldn't be envious. I wouldn't be angry, especially angry for women, God forbid. Now, all the folks who are publishing and writing and podcasting this great material are always adding in their ta-da! And here I am. And sometimes the ta-da is nothing in my external life has changed one bit. But I feel so much better. My friendships are better. My animals like me more. I don't wake up depressed. I sleep better. I'm satisfied with my life. And no one will see this. Just you will experience it. I'm encouraging you to be careful and examine when you are looking to be, quote, successful in spiritual growth and development. Instead, I would shift my focus to looking at a life chart and look at what am I supposed to be learning now? What did I sign up to learn? What courses did I learn uh, previously? What's coming in front of me? And why as a soul would I choose to learn these things? And how am I gonna learn them? And how am I gonna do incredibly good self-care while I'm learning these things? Because learning requires a lot of self-care. It also means that then when your life is amazing and great, you don't get fat and lazy. You just look at your charts like, oh, life is great right now. It's so cool. I'm going to enjoy it. Like spring, good weather. So you learn to enjoy it, but you don't say, that happened because I did this. No, it was scheduled. It's in your chart. There it is. Enjoy it. And when life is hard... The great thing about spirituality versus straight, you know, straight out psychology is straight out psychology is always about you, your work, what you do, what you manifest. But with spirituality, you can look at something and go, wow, my chart says amazing times and I'm miserable. Therefore, there's something going on inside of me. But you can also go to your chart and go, whoa. This section of my life is meant to kick my ass. So no matter what I do, it, I'm climbing a mountain. I'm going to slow way down. 
and I'm not going to blame myself and I'm not going to expect to lay on the beach in the Bahamas. I'm climbing the Himalayas, which is also cool, but it means I go slower. Life is rough and it's not my fault. It's scheduled. This is an Eastern perspective. So it's like getting mad at yourself and I'm doing something wrong because it's raining. No, this section of your life was meant to do that. And when life is great, that section of your life was offered to you. You set that up. And usually those sections, what we have to watch out for is getting arrogant and self-righteous. And we stop learning and listening. This is when people get self-indulgent. They spend too much money. They treat other people badly. They get self-righteous, etc. So while I love people like Glennon Doyle and Brene Brown, the holistic psychologist, even Dr. Phil, this other perspective is not included by any of these folks, which is, I chose this path of learning, and I'm allowed to go through learning hard. And I don't have to have a good story at the end about how it all worked out. And sometimes I won't have perspective on it for one or two or three years. Now you can listen to these podcasts, etc., and hear the glossiness of so much of it. And perhaps think harder about those glossed over parts about how hard was it really so the next time you're flopping around like a fish on dry land you won't be getting mad at yourself and hiding what you're going through and be ashamed that you're depressed or angry or sad or stuck or filled with self-hatred or you can't do better etc because those are never really talked about. It wouldn't sell. (laughs) I hope this helps. Hope to see you at Life Path Healings.